are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Hello, Manufactured listeners. We've got a treat for you this week. Our main episode is an interview with Matthew Rendell about how local legal context affects relationships between workers and management. Matthew is an expert in Cambodian labor law, but how he ended up in Cambodia is quite the captivating story. The stuff of movies, really. It was too long to include in the main episode and doesn't really have anything to do with the sustainable fashion agenda, but it was too fascinating not to share. So we decided to include it as a bonus episode instead. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Not much of an Instagram person? We feel you. We have a love-hate relationship with social media too. Sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. What brought me to Cambodia were refugee issues. So I was a lawyer in Australia. I was a lawyer in a um, commercial law firm, actually working for insurance companies uh, on public liability issues in, in Sydney. But we, I worked full time while I went through law school in, in, in a law firm, and the, and the person I worked with, um, a person I, I flattered with, is also going through law school, working full time. He worked for a community legal centre that did refugee advocacy work. And just as we got admitted, um, there was a project where they needed four or five lawyers to go to a refugee detention centre in far northwest Australia uh, back in 1992 um, to assist asylum seekers who were applied for refugee status in Australia and come by boat. Um, mm. And because they put them in detention, they had they were entitled to legal assistance under the convention. So because the government wouldn't let them out, to get legal assistance uh, by law, they had to bring lawyers to them, so to speak. So my, my friend's um, organization, the Refugee Council, was approached to provide four or five lawyers. So I, you know, I was on, I was actually on my way to the UK. I, I finished working and I was on my way. I'm British originally. I was on my way back to the UK to work there. And, and Seth, the friend, said, look, can you come up? It's only a, it's only a three-month thing. We just have to go up and help asylum seekers with their applications. Uh, for refugee status and it'll take three months and then, you know, go to England after that. So it was sort of helping a friend out. So we went up. This is, this was, uh, December 1991, uh, or January 1992 kind of thing. Um, so we went up for all of us. We actually all met at law school actually. Um, and to assist these, and they were from Cambodia this back then. So this is when boats had fled, um, from Sinoville after the Vietnamese had pulled out back in 89 and, um, when the war with China happened. And so the, the Vietnamese pulled out. They were governing Cambodia. And so 89, they pulled out. And it left a gulf. The Khmer Rouge moved back in. Um, so some of their old strongholds, Phnom Vor and these places, Palin, or Palin, they always were, Phnom Vor, the Sinophil. And so um, a number of boats fled to try to get to the Indonesian refugee camps. So this was 89, um, early 90. Um, this happened about an exodus. And what happened was they, the, Vietnamese, the Indonesian camps no longer decided there was no longer they decided they were full so to speak 
and they wouldn't allow any more in. So they kind of pushed the last remaining boats back out and said, look, here's some water and here's a map and Australia's down there, you know, good luck. And so about four or five boats turned up in Australia. And so the Australian government sort of panicked and made a mandatory detention regime. So our job was to, they'd all applied for asylum, of course, and they were about to get their decision. So our job was to assist anybody that was rejected if they wanted to appeal, help them with their appeal. So we were, we were representing the asylum seekers. But, you know, but, you know it's, it's responded to government. When you work with government, so it ordinarily takes a lot longer. So two, three months became two years. Got a short story, story short on that one. Uh, so I was up there for two years. Um, and the end of it was the resolution. There were also Vietnamese and Chinese in, in amongst the group. There's only about 150 asylum seekers, maybe 300 people. Up. Um, but for the Vietnamese and Chinese, they actually granted them refugee status in Australia. But for the Cambodians, they wouldn't do it for political reasons because of the, the, um, the Thai refugee camp issue and the, the peace process, the idea was to empty those camps, bring them back to Cambodia for the election, um, which is probably 93. So if they called this particular group in Cambodia refugees, there's a political statement saying it's unsafe to return to Cambodia. That would have put a spanner in the works of the, the resolution that was going on to empty the Thai camps for about 300,000 people. And our foreign minister at the time, Gareth Evans, was a chief architect of that. So no matter how much we argued, they were genuine refugees under the convention definition. The government said, look, we're not going to grant them refugee status. So we took them all to court. We won in court, um, and the court recognised they're refugees, but the court doesn't have the power to grant refugee status. Only the government does. The, government the said, Australian court. Yeah. And the government said, look, we're just not going to accept them. We don't care. Any, you know. um, so they came up with a resolution, and the resolution was – see, part of their argument was that they were, they were queue-jumping um, and we love that term. And we, and we said, what, what, where's this queue? They jumped in. Show me the office on Monibong Boulevard in Cambodia where you can go and apply for a, a migration to Australia. And so they realized that there never was any, any, you know, method process for them to, legitimate process they could undertake. So, um, they said, okay, look, we will create a migration program, Cambodia to, to Australia, and we'd include this group in it. So the, the criteria for being eligible is you had to have suffered trauma, um, and everybody had, right? Um, and you had to have a connection to Australia, including um, having entered Australia as an asylum seeker at any point between these two particular years. Um, so he said, that's fine. So just open the gates and let them out. They said, well, we can't do that because you can't migrate to a country from within a country. And we said, come mm. on, this is, this is just a technical monster. I mean, we this offshore for the purpose so but they made them go back to cambodia for and then return under this scheme this assisted migration passage and um this was then beginning of 94 so my job was to explain to all this group in port head and who had been there four years by now detention that uh if they if they return to cambodia they can come back as migrants of course they didn't believe a word of it i mean they'd grown up under the communist regime and the sat and the other you don't you don't sort of trust authority and and of course, it sounded crazy anyway. And but I knew it was true. I knew the government would not renege. Um, There's only a handful. So they of people. were allowed to, if they had gone back to Cambodia and then applied for asylum from there, then they would have gotten it. Well, they will get it. So the idea is, you go back to Cambodia, you apply for not asylum but migration. Oh, refugee status. Sorry. No, no, you apply for regular migration. They couldn't call them refugees, oh, and and you oh, will be guaranteed right, a spot. They said we'll open up. I know they say it's 500 spots. We will guarantee you a place on this, this role. And, but of course, the people didn't believe us. They basically said to me, I was the last lawyer up there at the state. They said to me, look, and I, I, I explained to them, I said, look, as crazy as it sounds, I understand it. 
why politically why they're doing it and, and they will not renege. You know, they don't care about young people that you come into Australia. They just can't call you refugees for political reasons. So they said, okay, um, you come back with us. We'll only go if you come back with us and you, and you, you know, make them hold this to truth. And I thought, oh, God, but, you know, I was going to England two years earlier. I suddenly, now I'm all of a sudden, you know, stuck for two years in Port Head and now I'm on my way to Cambodia. I thought, ah, this is not, <laughs> this wasn't what I'd signed up for. But I said, okay, look, I'll do this. I will come back with you. I will make sure we'll keep the government honest, but they had to go back for one year. So we tried to negotiate with the Cambodian government, the Australian government, just to let them go for a week and come back. They said, no, it's got to be a year. Then they struck a problem because the problem was in those days, um, in, during the 80s, you had to get an exit visa to leave Cambodia, which is, which is typical of, of sort of communist regimes. You know, you had to get an exit. You had to get permission to leave. You couldn't just leave the country. Just like you had to get a visa to enter. You had to get exit permission. And and that's when we said to the Australian government, well, you can't guarantee this. You, you're not the Cambodian government. So here's a problem with your – so they realized there was a, a, a problem with Seoul. So they arranged with the Cambodian government um, – bilateral government to government to drop the exit visa requirement. And that's the reason why the Cambodian government, the Cambodians no longer have to get permission to leave the country because of this. So the Cambodian government agreed to take away um, the permissions to get exit permission. So once that happened, then we agreed to do it. And and they came back for a year. A lot of the churches paid the way. They had to, they were, they were paid by the Australian government to return and they were given a stipend to sustain themselves while they were in Cambodia, but they were not paid to come back. And so the churches then came through because they'd been supporting them the whole time, as you can imagine. So they said, okay, we will sponsor every, and everybody had to have a sponsor. So they sponsored all 150. Um, turned out even more because some of the young guys came back married and then took wives back with them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so kind of backfired the Australian government. But, um, so that's what brought me to Cambodia. And if you can believe it, this already enthralling tale is also a love story. Amongst these 150 boat people was Matthew's future wife. Thank you, Matthew, for sharing it. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.